Now I'll um, I'll open up in prayer, and then uh, we're gonna dive into Ecclesiastes today. Lord, we just thank you that we can be in your house. We can be a family under your guidance. You as our Father, Lord. We just thank you that we can praise you and worship you as we just did, Lord, and glorify your name. You're so good to us. We just thank you for your word, for your wisdom, for your guidance that you give in our lives, Lord. We just pray that we will live lives according to your will, Lord. If there's things that we need to change or repent from, Lord, I pray that you will uh, put your hand upon that and, and turn it around, Lord. That we will be uh, humble enough to have our hearts changed, our, our mind changed, Lord. I just thank you that you care enough to even do that, Lord. You care enough to redirect our path away from hell, away from sadness and brokenness, Lord. And, and just all this torment in the world, Lord. I thank you that you care enough to to do that, Lord, and you want to spend eternity with us. We just thank you, Lord. We just want to praise you. Uh, may your word go forth today, Lord. Um, I just pray that you will soften the hearts of those listening, uh, whether they're on uh, the internet or here, Lord. Uh, may your words come through. Um, Lord, you know where each person is in their life at the moment, what things are, are troubling them, what things are, are struggles to them, and what things bring joy to them, Lord. I don't know any of these things, Lord. So uh, I pray that you will be the one uh, speaking through in, in the amazing, um, just miraculous way that you do to each one of us. I just thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So our main text today is Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. I'm going to start by opening up and actually reading it, and then I'll probably end up going on a giant roundabout tangent and end up back there. That's roughly the plan. <laughs> so Ecclesiastes 12, uh, 9 to 14. And moreover, because the preacher was wise... He still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. The words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son... Be admonished of these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now I'm starting there, but in order to really enjoy Ecclesiastes, 
which can somewhat seem like a dark book sometimes. Um, I've seen some really good things when you connect them to what they call the the wisdom literature, and you join it with Proverbs and then um, with Job. And for some reason, when you put all three of them together, it really just paints a true picture of uh, just life, like the, the fullness of life, uh, the ups, the downs, the knowledge, the things that don't make sense at all. And um, it's just such a cool picture. So I'm going to actually start by kind of introducing Proverbs a little bit. Most of us here know it, the Wednesday nighters. Uh So I'll introduce that first, and then we'll work our way through. So Proverbs, most of it is written by King Solomon. Uh, They are generally profound statements. Um, They are often a contrasting of two sort of opposing ideas or thoughts, or maybe a lifestyle or something. And these contrasting ideas are are good and evil. They're um, wise versus the foolish. And the result is generally, uh, either it brings about happiness or it brings about sadness, either it brings about um, prosperity or a calamity or something. And so he's he's contrasting all the things that um, King Solomon has learnt and thought and seen and observed um, in his life. And there is some other authors within Proverbs, but King Solomon seems to be the the main author. Now the trouble with Proverbs, if you can call it a trouble, is sometimes there are things which seem as if they don't match reality, as if they seem like there is um, times where it says something and then you look outside and you're like, wait a second, that's not what I see. And so I'm going to jump to one of those in Proverbs 10. So Proverbs 10, 27 to 29. So Proverbs 10, 27 to 29 says... The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. And now that's very simple. Um, It sounds great. I believe it's true. But it is easy to kind of play the game where, okay, there's people who clearly fear the Lord, but their days are not long. And then there's people who, um, the Lord is their strength, but it says the destruction will come to the workers of iniquity, and sometimes we don't see that. And it's really confusing. It's kind of like, wait a second, they're doing everything wrong, they hate God, they're money-hungry, whatever you want to call it, um... But for some reason, they live long lives. They're like 90 years old, super rich, and no calamity has come their way. And it just seems to not make a whole lot of sense. Now, I I would have to say, this is my own personal conviction. 
I don't know if I'm true or right on this. But I don't feel like the argument or the suggestion that those particular proverbs and stuff are just a um, a guideline or just a a reference to what should be. And, and I'll give you kind of two reasonings as to why I believe that is not entirely true. I believe that these things that are written down are 100% accurate um, at all times, if you will. Um, and if, to me, the first one is King Solomon himself. And so King Solomon, uh, we will actually jump to... Let's jump to First Kings 3. Well, instead of me telling you about King Solomon, I guess you can read it. So, First Kings three, and I'm going to read from five to twelve. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, "Ask, what shall I give you?" And Solomon said. You have shown great mercy to your servant, David my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness to him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my, instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out and come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be counted, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, that there has not ever that there has been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And he actually carries on and gives them all the things that he didn't ask for too. But that is uh, so. That is my first argument as to that person that we just described and read about there, and we know what God did for him. That is the person writing all of these proverbs, or most of them. So uh, there's no way I'm going to have intellectual debate over what is true and what is not with that kind of person. Um, God has blessed them in knowledge far beyond I will ever understand. But secondly, my more important argument as to why I don't think it's wise to just call Proverbs a guideline or a suggestion or whatever is we should, I'd say, uh, believe that all Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is true and honest and 
if this is part of scripture then it has to be right it has to be true and and so we can jump to I know I'm jumping around a lot we can jump to second Timothy three second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so if you're saying that um, these Proverbs are just a guideline or so forth, that you're somewhat saying that both King Solomon, this incredibly wise man gifted by God, and really God himself, uh, liars, so I don't really like that idea, um, and that's just my own conviction, but those are my reasonings why. The trouble still stands that sometimes we read Proverbs and they still don't make sense. So that trouble is still there, even though I believe that these things are 100% true from now to way in the past to way in the future. And I will get there... Because Ecclesiastes is kind of cool because it kind of answers some of that. It's, it answers some of the um, the enigma of life, the things that just don't make sense. And you hear a whole heap about life under the sun um, in Ecclesiastes. But before I do that, I'm going to jump, I guess, to the other side of the story, to Job. And I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's such a cool book. But... Um, Job kind of has this really interesting perspective on life. And we can jump to Job, just Job 1. So Job says, there was a man, oh, actually I'm not going to read all that, I lie to you. I'm going to start at verse 6. Job was a wealthy man, uh, very blessed, um, and you'll see a little bit of what God himself thought of Job. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? And this is kind of a very interesting piece that he, God asked him if he has considered him, and he clearly has. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. 
only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we'll get, I don't want to take too long on some of this, because I do want to get to Ecclesiastes. Um, But Job is kind of the flip side a little bit of some of the the conversations. You've got Proverbs, all these good things that are said, but they sometimes don't quite make sense in reality, it seems. And that's just our own knowledge and limitations. But the other question's still there. Now, Job gives another idea that there's more to the story. It shows this background, this... Um, Actually, I'm not going to do the other slides, but um, Job shows that there's this whole other realm that even when things happen, and in Job there's all these debates about God and about who's right and who's wrong, and, and did Job sin or didn't he sin, and, and how big was his sin, because he surely deserved, the, if, you know, if God's just, then he must have done this, and and God just comes through and answers him in such a cool way, which I'm not going to go into, so there's a little teaser for you guys to read. But it does show us and explain to us that there is so much more to God, so much more to what He's created, so much outside of our lives, um, that when we rationalize some of the things that's happening around us, we may be completely wrong. We might see the results, we might see what is there, but we have no idea how it got there or why it got there. So I'm going to move on towards Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a, for lack of better words, a darker book. Uh, um, it seems to be very sorrowful, seems to be very uh, down. But it does kind of have a, a interesting sort of silver lining to it. And so yeah, we'll jump to Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 1. And I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction to the actual book. Um, sorry, Caitlin. We'll give a little introduction to the actual book before I start and actually read some of it. Because we don't actually, I really thought that I knew more about this book, and I thought I knew more about the author and who it was and what was going on, and I find out that I don't. So, we will read just verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And that's all we really get right at the start. Now something, so the preacher, or preacher is um, Kehaleth, I believe, I'm saying that right, Kehaleth, or Kehaleth. And that can be translated a preacher, or a teacher, or really it should be uh, a person who gathers people together. It's uh, someone who assembles people. And the thing is, we... We believe that this preacher is is King Solomon, and I believe there's very good evidence throughout the entire Ecclesiastes that this is King Solomon, the preacher. Now we do actually have an author, 
So we have the preacher and then the author. And the author, we don't actually know exactly who that is. The preacher has been introduced by the author. Now, there's no real reason why King Solomon couldn't have been both and talking about himself in a different person. But it, there is a debate, let's say, of, of who the author is. They almost seem distinguished or, or different from the actual preacher. And so, essentially, this first verse, and then like way at the end, are the only bits where the author actually speaks, if you will. And the rest is the preacher talking about life, talking about all the things um, on this earth, and how things seem to be playing out. Which would be interesting, because if it was King Solomon, who was the preacher, he also wrote Proverbs, and then he wrote this, and they somewhat seem um, conflicting. They somewhat seem as if they... Are opposites, but it might be the same person who wrote all of it, which is kind of a, a cool idea, a very rounded idea of um, things that you know is true and good, and then things that you see around you, and you're trying to wrestle with it and understand it. So as we go through this book, um, and I, I want to kind of work through it real quickly and then make my way to the end of the book where we started at. And there's three sort of main ideas or things that, that come about. But for some of us, we know that Ecclesiastes has that particular um, word. And for us, uh, let's say in the New King James, it is vanity. But the base word is um, hevel. And hevel is kind of this really cool idea, and it can be translated into multiple things. It can be translated into kind of meaningless. Like, um, that's often a translation, it's meaningless. But it's got kind of more the idea of a smoke or a vapor or something that is um, just kind of there for a second. It's not tangible but it, you can see it but you can you can't quite understand it you can't quite grasp it and so the preacher goes along and says this word a lot actually i think it's 38 times if i remember correctly um and the word is hevel and he goes through and he describes all these different scenarios and things but then you know essentially it would be hevel of hevels, but the, the vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So it's just like repeating the same, like everything is smoke, everything is this mist, everything is this not tangible thing, even though the preacher continues to go through and tries to find wisdom, tries to solidify ideas and thoughts and the world around him. Everything just seems to be this smoke. It seems to be this mist. It keeps sort of moving and, and changing and... um the word is kind of cool in a sense of it's like smoke or, or a vapor. Like you can see it, it's there, it's right in front of you, but you can't grab it. Like there's no way to actually hold it or grab it with your hands. And that seems like life. Now the three main ideas, and I'll go... Um, so in Ecclesiastes 1, I will read 1 through 11. 
What profit has a man from all his labours, in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. And the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place from where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the, to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And I'll continue to 11. That which has been is what will be, and that which, ha- which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will be there any remembrance of things that are to come, by those who will come after. And so this sort of introduces us to the first of really three things that I'm kind of that I'm going to bring up is time. So he he debates the the hevel or the the vanity or the um the meaningless of, of time in our lives. And this is surprisingly more applicable than, than I really thought that it would be. Because we do all kinds of things, yet, you know, the mountains and the seas and the wind and the, you know, just the air that's around us, they were here way before I was born and they're going to be here way after, you know, I go. Yeah, the idea that really they're there when your parents, your grandparents, your grandparents, grandparents, like you just keep going back, like all those things, the sea and everything were there already. Yesterday, actually when Chelsea got home, um, there were some little rabbits running around, chasing each other. And you look outside and it was, it was kind of a, a little reminder that Despite all the things going on, uh, work or whatever, um, craziness outside, I don't feel like nature really cared. You know, through all of COVID and everything, you look outside and, and it went from it went from winter into spring into summer. Like it didn't care. Like it just kept moving, and and the grass was growing, and the trees were getting full, and there was squirrels and birds and all kinds of things. And the rain fell, and the sun shone, and it didn't really care. And in which case, this argument of there's nothing new under the sun is actually a lot more valid than we think. And now we say, okay, well, cool, we got all this new technology that never was, you know, it, it hasn't been. And there's debates around that, but I don't think that's necessarily the point about technology. I think in some ways, if you think about it, like all the technology and stuff, like, let's say there's like gold inside circuitry. We didn't make the gold. It was already there, like we dug it up and we just turned it into something different. Well, who's to say that all this technology we have isn't going to be mushed up in something else and just made into something new? It's not technically new. It's still the same old gold that's been sitting in the dirt for like thousands and thousands of years, you know, since the start of creation. So there really isn't anything new, and, and we have the law of, you know, energy can't be destroyed. It can only go from one form to another. 
So even the energy, like every energy, like so the electricity we're using, or if you will, like it's already always been here. We haven't done anything new. We've just changed it from one form to another, and to another, and to another. So I just grow my food and I eat it, and then I do work. But I didn't do anything new. Now, we all can agree that it's very interesting um, and difficult and uh, challenging time here in this country at the moment. And it doesn't seem to matter which like political party you support or um, which race you are, which religion you believe, or which media you listen to. We all seem to be angry and upset. And we're all angry and upset at everyone else who is stupid, who doesn't understand our side. Whether you're left or right or center, we're all upset. And it's all everyone else's fault. Now I guess the argument, and really the proof in our text is, is this the first time that this has ever happened? You know, is this the first time that we, so we is mankind or humanity, is this the first time that we've ever dealt with a pandemic? Or will it ever be, or will it be the last time we deal with a pandemic? You know, diseases or war, civil unrest, famine, poverty, injustice, corruption. Are these things new? Uh, Have they always been or will they ever be? As far as we as humans can control? There's not much we can do about that. That is, There's nothing new under the sun in that. I mean, injustice has been from Cain and Abel, if you will. It's always been. So that's sort of the first section, if you will, or um, is time. Time is marching on despite what you do. And the preacher says that it's vanity, or it's a mist, it's a smoke, it's heaven. Now the second one, is the inevitable, it's, it's death. And that too is hevel or vanity or meaningless. Because you, you, you're born and you live and you know eventually you're going to die because the stats are in that 10 out of 10 people die. So what is the point of our toil and our labors here on earth? And Ecclesiastes, which I do hope you go through and, and you read some of it, is is kind of full of that argument, full of that, like, hey, if you do all this good, if you build all these things and you're doing the right thing, what is kind of the point? You know, if you build an empire, the thing is when you die, that has to go to, that's going to go to somebody. Someone's going to either take it or you're going to give it to somebody and who's to know that they're going to be a good person with it? Like, you don't know. So when you build these things, you kind of have to hold it with a very loose hand because eventually you're going to die and it's going to go to someone. They might ruin it. They might make it better. Now, death comes to obviously everybody, whether you're wise or, or a fool, or if you're rich or poor, everyone alike is going to die. And that is something why the preacher says, this is vanity, this is crazy. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't there be a reward for being more wise or or better or a nicer person, or like, shouldn't you just? And now we're talking about here on earth, so I'm gonna. That's that's the premise. 
shouldn't there be more? Shouldn't we get more things out of it? We're all just going to do these things, and if you're a fool and you're, you know, whatever, you're going to end up dying just like everyone else, and, and if you're rich or so on. Now, I had to make the little disclaimer about it being the premise of here on Earth because the final kind of argument is, or the final uh, solution, in a sense, the um, the promise is that a lot of these things that we see as injustices here on Earth to good people or whatever, they all get fixed once we get to the other side, but we don't have that foreknowledge, we don't have that ability to see that. So I'm going to jump to the third thing, and the third thing is the random chance of life. And so in life you have these things where you can play the stock market perfectly and lose all your money. You can do all the right things and say all the right things to the right people, but still you could have no friends. There's this weird thing where if... And some people, they do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zilch. And they're wealthy, they have all these friends, everything is, looks totally great. And they do nothing. Like they're mean to everybody and and you know, I won't say who it was, but some people know. Like, um someone at my school would literally be one of the popular people and literally tell one of the other girls like how hideous they look and they'll pretty much be like, Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. I and I was like, looking at this, it's like a teenager and I'm like, What is going on? You literally just, how how are they worshipping you when you just insulted them? It made no sense. So we see these things and, and they just, <laughs> they don't resonate, they don't make sense. Um, and that too is hevel, that too is the mist and the vapor of life where it just doesn't add up. Now so far all that seems incredibly depressing and um, everything just seems pointless. And even if you have all the wisdom and you're doing all the right things from Proverbs, for some reason it doesn't happen. But that's where Job is such a cool little image of like, wait, 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 there's something more. And I feel like Ecclesiastes kind of breaches a little bit of that. And that's really cool. I'm going to go to Ephesians 2. 8 through 10. Because it's important to know this. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself as a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this really is one of my like favorite all-time passages because even when you're going through Ecclesiastes and you're talking about heaven and you're talking about all this like mist and smoke and things that don't make sense and how life, even if you do it perfectly, which is, I don't play for my family, they know, I don't really play card games because I don't like the chance. Even if I have the perfect strategy, the perfect game, if I don't happen to have the right hand, I lose. And I'm like... That's not fair. That doesn't sit right with me. You know, I like sports because I'm like, well, if I try harder, I can do better and I can 
do well because of certain things, but life is actually more like a card game. And that's what's really difficult. And so sometimes it's it's easy to get really down about it until you read things like that in Ephesians, where it's like, no, 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 that's not the point. The point wasn't necessarily to do really well here on earth and and have certain things. That wasn't the point at all. You know, God created us for a reason, for a purpose. Each one of us has a very specific thing that we are designed for perfectly. And even in Ecclesiastes, often the wordage of um, a gift from God, just like we read that our salvation was a gift of God, there's a couple of little snippets where he says a gift of God and it will be simple things like the labor that is due for you, which seems really sad. But then at the same time, it's like, no, no, no. There's times where you should just eat and drink and be with friends and just enjoy the small pleasures in life. The sun on your face, the birds chirping outside. Um, and Ecclesiastes contrasts those things. And I think one of the cool things is it's trying to move away from the things that are vanity to the things that are meaningful. And we all have a meaning and a, and a purpose for our lives, which God created way before really anything. He knew who we are. He knew who we were going to be and what we were designed for. And this really should bring us to the end of Ecclesiastes, where... I'm actually just going to read the conclusion. Instead of uh, 12, so Ecclesiastes 12, um, I'm actually going to jump straight to verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And really, it's so good like to live the perfect life and to live an abundant life and a happy life. It actually comes all down to the fear, to fear God in a, in a righteous, in a honorable, reverent way to fear God. And to keep his commandments. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the... So this would be the author speaking here, not necessarily the preacher. So I don't know exactly what the author had in mind right there of his commandments. But for us, we know to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So we fear God and we love and that is man's all. That is your all. That is the perfect life. And all these other injustices and everything, they actually will all be evened out later on. It's interesting that 
as we look outside, we know that every every soul cries for that um, justice to to happen. And it's interesting that right at the end of this passage, after it says the conclusion of the matter, and it says to fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all, the very last part is is that God will judge everything. God will bring into judgment every good work, every everything, even including the things that were done in secret. So who even knows how many things that is. So it's interesting that that was the conclusion of the whole thing, how to live your life. And then this little snippet of God's judgment, and that's where it's really cool contrasting the things of Job, because we see that God's judgment is way above the angels, way above everything we can consider. And only God can do that because he has all knowledge, and he actually has the power to judge correctly and, and accurately. I would like for anyone and everyone who's listened to this to go through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Um, the The Bible Project has some pretty cool stuff um, that explains it really well, very succinctly, with amazing drawings and all kinds of things. But I think for the wisdom that we need to deal with today's world, really any time as we just saw all of history is just repeating over and over again, but to deal with our lives and all the things in it, um, these wisdom literature books, these three, uh, are really powerful and really uh, impacting. And if we want to live a, a full, like a, a life full of fulfillment, this uh it just gives us that added wisdom and obviously we can compare that and, and add to that all the other scriptures of New Testament and Old Testament and everything. And and how they line up perfectly. So there's no way I can cover all the things that, that need to be said with all these different books and everything and I don't have the wisdom to explain wisdom. But what I'd like to leave you with is kind of a, a questioning, a hunger, um, a desire to seek out what it means to truly fear God and to truly keep His commandments. Because that is your all. That is really the, the as the author says here, the conclusion of the whole matter. And I can't tell you that because God's designed you for a very specific thing and He has a purpose for you in your life. That is not mine. And mine's also different too. But I think everything that we need to know is in the Scriptures. And it's really cool that God can speak to us uh, in such a mysterious way that is the same wordage, but it's completely different meaning to each individual person depending on where they're at and, and where they're going and what God has purposed for them. So I'd like to close this in prayer. And I'd like to just encourage you all to 
really read through these at some point. Um, even there's so many contrasts or so many um, links and adding to things that Jesus has said and that, that just fit so perfectly with these uh, wisdom scriptures and wisdom literatures. And so so goes through and, and just make all the connections and all the links. There's no way I could do that without keeping you here for weeks and days and months and years. So I'll close this in prayer and hopefully we'll have a good week. Lord, we just pray that you will open our eyes and our ears and our mind to the things that you desire from us. Lord, your scriptures are so jam-packed full of just good information of ways to live our lives, whether good things happen or bad things happen, whether predictable things happen or whether just black swan events happen, Lord. You know what's going on. Nothing catches you by surprise. And just like in Job, you didn't you didn't have to you never told Job that you had conversations with Satan and that there was this little galactic battle, cosmic battle going on, if you will. Lord, you didn't even need to. You gave him this amazing grand tour of everything that you're doing, of the wisdom and knowledge you have, of the, the creatures that you made. Lord, I pray that we will also gain that understanding of knowing who we are and knowing who who you are and where we fit in with that, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can be your children, that you are our Father. But just like you showed Job, and just like is described in the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Lord, you're so much bigger, so much grander than all these things. And I pray that you will teach us how to reverence you properly, how to have fear for you, even though you are this loving Father that looks after us, Lord, that we can walk rightly before you, Lord, that we can keep the statutes and commandments that you have laid upon us, our own the, the very particular convictions and things that you have ordained for our lives, Lord. We just love you and we thank you. We pray for your wisdom and guidance upon our lives, Lord. We thank you for salvation, <laughs> the free gift that you gave, Lord, free to us. A very high penalty, very high cost, but free to us, Lord, and we just thank you for that. You're so good to us, and I just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.